and this is the text that Paul's going to be preaching on very shortly. It's 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, so that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is the time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We thank God for his word to us this morning. And it's great to welcome Cole and Fiona back from their week's leave and pray God's blessing as Cole brings God's word. Well, thank you, Terry, and welcome, uh, church. It's lovely to see you, not see you, but uh, be with you on this Sunday morning and to bring God's word to you from that reading we've just had from 1 Peter chapter 4 and verses 12 to 19. In late um, November 1999, I was sleeping in the sands of the desert beside a lonely cliff of rock, an area called the Mountains of the Moon in Sinai, Egypt. It had been another very tiring day and we'd run 10 miles across the dusty earth following three camels carrying our food and water for that day. I was part of a team of 20 chaplains in, in an exercise called Millennium Pilgrim and we were running a combined 2,000 miles in celebration of the millennium. We each run 10 miles a day over 10 days raising money for a Christian charity in Bethlehem and another military charity back in the UK. And it was much colder at night and I was just settling down to sleep in my sleeping bag when I saw uh, two sets of headlights or vehicles approaching across the desert or bouncing up and down across the rough desert or on the way towards our camp. And it stopped. they stopped next to the Bedouin uh, tents that were close to us and our sleeping bags. And four men brandishing short rifles uh, started shouting and the leader of our group got out of his sleeping bag and ran across to them. And he was told that our group was not allowed to be in the desert and that we were being all arrested. It was a military area, he said, and we we're all being arrested. So 13 of us were bundled into the back of these two vehicles and trundled back across the desert for over an hour to St. Catherine's Monastery at Barracks at the foot of the mighty Mount Sinai. There we sat in the vehicles for over two hours with no water whilst our group leader was interrogated and finally forced to pay a bribe of over £2,000 of our charity money to the local military commander, who then allowed us to return to our camp. 
On the way back, the, over the bumpy track and what have you, it was so bad that I had to stop the vehicle I was in and I was violently sick several times. We finally got back to our sleeping bags and our camp at 0330 hours that morning. We each knew that we'd be up in less than two hours for our desert run. And then at 0530, the alarm went off, I awoke, and people began to get out of their sleeping bags, but I just lay in mine. I felt absolutely terrible. I'd been violently sick several times the night before, I'd lost a lot of fluids, what have you. Um, and the last thing I wanted to do was to get up at 0530 hours in the morning to run 10 miles in the Egyptian heat. I just want to turn over my sleeping bag and go back to sleep. As I looked around the site and my friends putting on their running gear and beginning to drink lots of water, I thought to myself, I'm part of this team. If I don't run my share of 10 miles today, someone else have to do it for me to keep up with our target. And I said to myself, get out of bed, Maynard, put your shoes on and run. And that's exactly what I did. I put on my shoes and I began to take some good drops of uh, water and electrolytes and I settled into the run for that day and after a few minutes it was in fact a good run. That was for me very much a trial by fire. That's a picture of me running later on, uh, weeks, weeks later, and it was a real picture of me running. Um, it, was a, it was a trial by fire because there I was in the desert in that huge amount of heat, in the dust <laughs> and morass of that wilderness and the last thing I wanted to do was run. I wanted to give up, I wanted to just turn over my sleeping bag and go back to sleep to try and recover some of the energy levels I'd lost on the day before because I was grappling with feeling unwell and the heat and all the rest of it, the challenge of that day. It was a trial by fire. It was a test in the desert, a test of my resolve to finish the journey, to finish the race that I'd begun many months before. All those training runs, running 10 miles four or five times a week in Northern Ireland. All those letters I'd written to companies for sponsorship that led me to the desert and that run. I was not alone, you see. I was part of a team and I was part of a plan. And Peter here is trying to lovingly warn the Christians of the first century and also the Christians of the 21st century. But following Jesus is not always easy. It can come at a cost. And so he dresses them in a loving way and begins in verse 12. He writes, Beloved, beloved, loved of the Lord. Then he says, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial that comes upon you to test you as though it was something strange happening to you. He's warning them not to be surprised as if this reaction is, is something that we should not expect. He's saying to us, we should expect a fiery trial. We should expect the reaction to being a follower of Jesus not always to be positive, not always to be good. But sometimes when we share or try to live the light of Jesus, even if we don't talk about it, just by being Christians, that can bring a negative reaction by others who feel judged because they don't follow Jesus. Because they don't follow the light, they follow darkness and they find the light in us a challenge to their lives and their morality or lack of. Jesus told us the very same thing at the outset of his ministry. John writes about this in the first epistle, sorry, not the first epistle, in the Gospel of John. He writes in John chapter 1, In him was life, 
And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, John warns us that there is currently a battle between light and darkness on this planet. There's a battle between the forces of darkness and the forces of light. And we serve the forces of light. That light is in our lives by the Holy Spirit. There's a conflict between light and darkness. And he says the darkness has not overcome it and the darkness will never win, but it will try to time and time and time again. And we should expect conflict. We should expect that battle. We should expect at times to suffer the consequence of darkness trying to overcome the light of Jesus. You see, the whole life of Jesus can be seen as a battle between light and darkness. John 3 verse 9 to 10 says this, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. Perhaps some of you are experiencing conflict of being a Christian because the world does not recognise Christ and his light that is in you. That was written 2,000 years ago and it's as right for today and as valid for today as it was the day it was written. John writes in John 1.9, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made from him, the world did not recognise him. Not only did the world not recognise him, but various attempts were made to kill and to silence the light, to put it out. And when they finally succeeded by putting that light upon a cross and they blew it out three days later, that light was back. Here's the light that cannot be put out. Here's the light that cannot be extinguished, but that does not stop darkness trying to turn out and to blow out that light. And when Jesus ascended to heaven into his glory, suddenly that attention of the darkness focused on his disciples, those who were attempting to shine the light of Jesus. To the early Christians living in Asia Minor, to whom Peter is writing, and to the Christians living in the 21st century, to whom Peter's writing today. If you are trying to be effective and to live as a light for Christ in your place of work, in your community, in your family, you should expect opposition at times. Peter writes, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Jesus himself tells us in John 15, he says, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Jesus tells us, like Peter, expect persecution. Expect a fiery trial. Why? Because Peter tells us, first of all, the fiery trial is a test of determination. It is a test of determination. Your determination, my determination, to go through with following Jesus. You see, fiery trials are not just to be expected, they actually serve a good purpose. 
in the life of the believer. And Peter, who has already spoken about this in chapter one of his, his letter, there he writes, in all of this, you greatly rejoice, for now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And then Peter says this, he says, these have come so that, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though by refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter is saying that the fiery trial is there to prove our faith. So that it, you can show that you are determined to follow Jesus Christ, that you are genuine in your faith. Quite literally, the word there, fiery trial, means the burning. And Peter associates that burning with the process used to refine precious metals like gold and silver. But remember this, you don't pro purify something that's not worth the effort. You don't purify steel or iron. You pro purify gold and silver because it is precious. And so all of you as believers are precious. And God sometimes allows us to go through that fiery trial to test and to refine that faith, to develop and grow that faith, to make it better, purer. Psalm 66 verse 10, the psalmist writes, For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. The fiery trial is a proving ground of genuine commitment. Making sure that you are genuinely committed to the journey which you've begun. It's very interesting that we uh, live in a day and age that talks a lot about veterans, and I'm a veteran. But one of the things that gets on the claw of veterans is this idea, the army, uh, sorry, the, the government has a definition of veteran of anyone who served one day in the military. And for most veterans, that's an absolute nonsense. Because you can serve in the military for one day and you haven't passed anything. You haven't even passed basic training. You've never served an operational theatre. You've never really been tested. It makes a nonsense. It's like saying, you know, that a graduate is someone who served one day in university. Well, that's a nonsense. You don't get a degree after one day of being a student. And you shouldn't be a veteran after having one day served in the military. Veterans would describe a veteran as someone who's served, who's passed basic training, who's been in the military for several years at least, or many years, who's served in operational theatres, who's demonstrated and tested and shown true their commitment to serving in that military environment, in serving their country in that way. In other words, the proof of the name, veteran, is in the test and passing that test and not simply serving for one day. You spent that entire day on the toilet. How's that serving your country? So being a Christian is not just in a name. Being a Christian is demonstrating the reality of that commitment by the way we live and by shining that light of Christ, which may mean we come into conflict with those around us. We may have pain that follows from, from following Jesus. And when I lay in that sleeping bag on that morning at half past five, after feeling sick and unwell, the last thing I wanted to do was to get up and to run another 10 miles in the desert. But the question flowing through my mind was this, how much do I want to be part of this team? Am I really committed? Am I determined to finish the course? You see, we need to be determined to be a believer. It's not merely saying I'm a Christian. It's not even 
being baptized, just being baptized. It's demonstrating day by day a commitment to following Jesus in the way that you live your life. Jesus is committed to us. He's demonstrating that commitment because he endured the cross. He didn't serve for one day as the Messiah. He didn't just live for one day um, with that title of being the Messiah. He showed his commitment, not simply by being the Messiah, but by going to the cross, by being the suffering servant spoken about in Isaiah. He died for you and for me. He was hung up on one of the most hideous forms of execution devised by men because you and because I am precious to him. Jesus was determined to demonstrate his love for you and his love for me. A pig and a chicken were once walking down the road and they passed a church and they noticed that the church was holding a potluck charity breakfast and it was underway and caught up in the spirit of this the pig suggested to the chicken that they each make a contribution. What a great idea, said the chicken. Let's offer them ham and eggs. Not so fast, said the pig. For you, that's just a contribution. But for me, that's total commitment. And Jesus showed you and me total commitment. How committed are you to him? Do you speak about your faith or do you remain silent because you're scared of the reaction of others? Do you keep quiet about sharing your faith with your friends or telling your friends even that you're a Christian in case you might lose them? Are you a sleeper Christian? You love Jesus deeply, but so deeply that no one can see that faith. People, that's not being a Christian. That's being a chicken. Jesus said this in Luke 9 verse 26, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of his holy angels. You see, the fiery test, the fiery trial is a test. It tests our commitment to Jesus and his teaching. And if you fail that test and give up in the heat of the trial, and just jack it all in or go in the way of darkness. What does that say of your commitment to Jesus who died for you? Of your ability to call yourself a Christian? The fiery trial is a proving ground to test the genuine nature of your faith and mine. So God says to us, in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 3.18, I counsel you to buy from me gold, gold refined in the fire, so that you become, can become rich and to wear clothes, sorry, and, and, and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Suffering can be the, the road that must be taken to get the prize. You see, some roots in life involve suffering and it has to involve suffering to achieve the given aim. Like the old phrase, no pain, no gain. But think about it for a moment. There's many things we try and do in our lives that require pain and without that pain, you don't achieve what you're seeking to achieve. What diet doesn't achieve pain to get the figure that you're seeking or the weight? What exercise doesn't involve pain to get 
the fitness that you are seeking? What training regime does not involve pain to get the standards you're seeking? What study does not involve pain to get the qualification that you're trying to obtain? Anything worthwhile in life often requires sacrifice, requires pain, requires the fiery trial. There's not a prize in life that doesn't involve some degree of suffering. And the same is true of the Christian promise. And Peter is telling the church in this passage in chapter 4 to wise up. There's a battle taking place between light and darkness. And if that light shines in you, then you might become an object of persecution. This is the first test of determination because it shows that you're committed to the teaching of Jesus, to following him. And we all need to be careful. We follow Jesus who is the way, the truth and the life. John 14 verse 6. And there's a very great temptation in modern Christianity to make that truth more palatable. And some Christians nowadays are seeking to water down the truth to make it palatable to our modern generation, palatable to our modern society. They darken his light into a gentle grey. Because they think the true light of Christ might cause offence. And of course, Jesus speaks about this and Paul speaks about the stumbling stone, the stumbling rock. And Jesus is a scandalon. He is a stumbling stone. We've got to allow Jesus' light to shine in all its brightness. We should never and dare never water down the truth to make it more palatable to our modern society. Truth is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. It's not a way, a truth, a life. He is the way, the truth, the life. During this past week, the trial of Johnny Depp's been going on, accused of um, beating his, his wife. And um, Amber Heard's an actress and she's the one that's brought the charges against Johnny Depp. And uh, during this current trial, um, she spoke to reporters this week and said that it was difficult to have her truth questioned. Difficult to have her truth questioned. And her truth, or your truth, or my truth, is a very common expression nowadays. But that's a logical fallacy. There's no such thing as your truth, or my truth, or her truth, or his truth. There is truth, and there is untruth. You and I are not the bearers of truth. We don't define what truth is. We can simply believe truth or not believe truth. Truth is truth. There's no your truth or my truth. And Jesus is the truth. And if you water down his truth, you no longer have the truth. You have untruth. And just remember that one of the titles of the devil is the father of lies, John 8, 44. So if we need to water down the light to water down the truth of Jesus Christ, it might suggest we're being too greatly influenced by untruth, by the fire of lies. Secondly, note that the fiery trial here is not only a test of determination, it's a test of direction. It's a test of direction. It asks the question, where are you going? It confirms um, our, our direction, whether we're going in the right direction or in fact the wrong direction. And when we suffer for light, it confirms that we're shining. It's, it confirms that we are walking the way of Jesus. 
We walk in the way of the cross, the way of sacrifice. It's also cool we can look forward to the glory and the blessing of God that God has promised all those who follow his son Jesus. So Peter continues in verse 13, Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering, but you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. When we face persecution for being a follower of Jesus, Peter tells us to rejoice because we're sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. And it's because we're sharing in the sufferings of Jesus, we too shall share in his glory. Now we don't rejoice in the actual suffering or the pain as if we're some kind of masochists. But we celebrate that we're sharing the road and the path of Jesus. The first name of, of Christians wasn't Christians. It was the way. Because we went the way, we followed the way of Jesus. And Christians itself is a Latin uh, uh, subscript. It means Christiani, means follower of Jesus. We follow him, we follow his way. As we follow his way that can involve the cross, we also share in his glories. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 24 and verse 26, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And so we read about the early Christians in the book of Acts rejoicing when they suffered persecution. Acts 5.42 um, says this, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they've been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. We don't rejoice because we enjoy pain. We rejoice because we're sharing in the sufferings of Jesus, because we know we are following his way. We know we are going in the right direction. See, Satan only attacks Christians who are making a difference. And when, we're, when we suffer persecution, it means that we're making a difference, that we become the subject for attack because we are damaging Satan's darkness. And he gets us in his sights. The writer of the Hebrews speaks of Moses in this way, in, in Hebrews chapter 11. He writes this, Moses chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. And so Jesus tells his disciples, he tells you and me in Matthew 5, he says this, Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You see, we're sharing the pain of Christ. We're on that road, the road that he took, walking his way, his direction, and that eventually leads to glory. But Peter does mention here a very important caveat. He says that the suffering must be because we are following the light. If we're living the way of darkness, if we're precious in darkness, then obviously, We've got every right to suffer. He says in verse 15, he says, But if you, sorry, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a meddler. You see, if we suffer for being a troublemaker, but that's basically our own fault, and that's to no one's glory. And he uses four negative categories. He talks about the taker of life, the murderer. He talks about the taker of property, the thief. He talks about the taker of people, the evil person. But finally, he talks about the taker of liberties, the meddler. Now, the murderer is obviously 
um, the ultimate taker because he takes someone's most precious possession, their life. The thief is a taker of things, a person who shows no respect for the property or indeed the rights of others. The evildoer is a very interesting one here. It's the person who lives their life their way. And we actually celebrate this today. This is something we think is a great thing. People who put their rights above everyone else's rights, even if it hurts the other person and causes them evil. That's the evildoer. And this is one of the things that's so tied up into our culture about celebrating the rights of others, that you can do what you like to other people as long as you're achieving your potential. It doesn't matter if you, you disassociate and hurt and harm other people. As long as you're achieving your potential. In fact, in the Bible, that kind of selfish outlook, that narcissistic, uh, self-gratifying uh, um, uh, outlook is seen as an evil outlook. Someone who does whatever they want to do to achieve their own goals, no matter who they tread on and who they hurt on the way. And then there's that expression, the meddler. And that's the person who takes liberties with the lives of others. They meddle, get involved in the affairs of others that aren't their own. And this is a dangerous thing for a Christian to get involved with. Christians who see themselves as holier than thou, who like to go around wagging the fingers of others. Our light should be a light that shines because people see the purity of God and the love of God and the love of Jesus in our lives. It's not we go and rub other people's nose in what they're doing. That's God is the judge, not us. We should simply shine that light in this world. So we need to take care that we never suffer for doing wrong things, like Peter says in this description of four different things. Because that doesn't bring glory upon the church. That brings disgrace upon the church and disgrace upon Jesus. So Peter says, if you suffer at all, may it be because of light and not because of darkness within you. Persecution brings its own special blessing in the sense of when we suffer persecution, there's an inner light in the presence of God, where, like the, the Holy Spirit, like the angels minister to Jesus as he was going through his fiery trial, his temptation in the desert. So, in a special way, the Holy Spirit ministers to, um, to Christians who are being persecuted. And Peter mentions this in verse 14. He says, This if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And many Christians who have experienced persecution talk about this, and a special anointing of the Holy Spirit that gives them comfort and boldness in a moment of persecution. Literally, the spirit of glory is literally the spirit of the glory in Greek. The spirit of the glory, the spirit of God, the Shekinah glory that rests upon believers. And so we see here the fiery trial is a test of determination. It's a test of direction and finally and very importantly it's a test of destination it's a test of destination we've already mentioned that it's a test of direction but it shows us where we're eventually going if we're following the way of light then we're heading towards the place of light heaven but if we're walking the road of darkness but disregards God and goes our own way and sticks two fingers up to the Almighty, then we're heading towards the eternal abyss. This is what's said, not only in this passage, but throughout the Bible. And Peter speaks of persecution as being a form of earthly judgment upon the people of God. 
it's a form of purification and tests our determination, our direction, and it actually tests our destination. It prepares us for the next life. Peter writes in verses 17 and 18, for it's a time of judgment to begin at, at, at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, sorry, scarcely saved, so what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? We've already mentioned that um, the fiery trial is part of the refining process, the purification of the believer, and it's preparing for us for the day in which Jesus will return, and he is coming back. Arnold Schwarzenegger said in that famous film, Terminator, I'll be back. But Jesus is coming back. He's on his way back. And when he comes, he'll take his own to be with him. Will you be in that number? Will you be one of the chosen of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you a believer who's demonstrating your faith in the way that you live? Are you a believer in deed as well as word? Would others be able to convict you of being a Christian by the way you live, by the way you spend your money, by the way you spend your time, by the way you speak to other people? This is the message of the prophet in the Old Testament, the last prophet in the Old Testament, Malachi. He speaks a lot about the judgment of God and of God's Son coming back to judge. Malachi 3 verse 6, sorry, Malachi chapter 3 verses 1 to 6 says this, I will, God says, I will send my messenger who will, who will prepare the way before me. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. He writes, so I'll come and put you on trial. And I'll be quick to testify against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against the perjurers, against those who defraud labourers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the followers among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change. Then later on in chapter 4, God says, Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And on that day of its coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left for them. Here Peter is warning us of the final judgment when Jesus Christ returns. And he says, if the people of God are tested in this life, and God tests and purifies his people, how much more will he test and put before trial those who don't follow him? Peter is writing in this passage a wake-up call to the church and to the world. He says to the church, if you are shining with the light of Jesus, you should not be surprised if you come into conflict with darkness. If you are persecuted by others for standing by Je for Jesus and his teaching, you should not be surprised by this at all. You should rejoice. It shows that you're on the right way. This is preparation for heaven. Testing our determination, testing our direction, testing our destination. But the persecution of believers and Christians is also a warning 
for those who aren't believers, to those who don't follow the words of Jesus. But if a Christian needs to be purified, then how much more do they who gladly walk the paths of darkness? It reminds us that one day we shall all stand before the eternal judge when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead. How will you stand before him? What account will you give? Will you be facing the blessings of believers, of those who follow the light of the world? Or will you be given out of the darkness that you've preferred during this life? Will you be given over to a darkness for eternity? People, let us follow Jesus, the light of the world, no matter what it costs. Let us seek to bring his light, his joy, his peace, his forgiveness, his blessing into this world, into this broken, dark and hurting world, because the world needs that light, even if it doesn't recognise it, even if it doesn't know it. Let's bring the light of Jesus, the way, the truth and the life.